electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Sharon Epperson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. Today, you'll hear from founder and CIO of Heyman Capital Management, Kyle Bass. Bass spoke with Squawk Box co-anchor Becky Quick at CNBC's Financial Advisor Summit on June 15, 2022. They talked about globalization versus national security, interest rates, the Fed, and why he thinks we're in a golden age for investing in hydrocarbons. Here's their conversation. Let's talk a little bit about what's happening with globalization, because for decades we saw the positive side of globalization, uh, more markets, bigger markets, more people that our companies could sell to. But in recent months, we have really seen the downside of globalization. What happens with the shutdowns in China, people not being able to get goods that are brought through the supply chain, what's happened with the Russian invasion of Ukraine and what that has meant for energy prices. A lot of people are starting to ask, is this the end of globalization? What do you think? You know, I, I think that globalization uh, appeals to all of us. We're, you know, having having the world drop its its guard and and deciding to outsource things to various places where you can where you can attain better profit margins, maybe greater efficiencies and, and maybe even technological uh, advances move faster. But as we're seeing today, uh, it's really difficult to engage with partners like China, like Russia, like Iran, like North Korea, you know, China, mostly, as you mentioned, uh, doesn't share the same uh, value system that we share. Uh, and, and that's to say the very least, they don't share uh, the same legal system that we share. Uh, we have a rule of law, they rule by law. Uh, and when it comes into periods of time in which there's global conflict or uh, let's just say uh, global friction, uh, you see that globalization can lead you down a path that puts you in a very difficult position from a national security perspective, Becky. And I think that we're realizing that it was probably a real bad idea to let 95% of the active pharmaceutical ingredients for our antibiotics, let's say, to be made uh, in China uh, and uh, uh, have the global chip shortage that we've seen really emanate uh, uh, from Taiwan around the world, with Taiwan Semi making more than 40% of the chips that we need for just about everything. So I think those globalists that were pushing uh, globalism, let's just say unrestricted, put us in a position where now we need to regroup uh, and we re really need to rethink how we risk assess various industries being outsourced. Yeah, it's from a national security perspective on, on top of just the global market risk that this has taken on. Um, it, it, it's not an immediate situation that can be fixed immediately, I should say. Um, this is going to take some time. What do you anticipate seeing over the next three to five years, just in terms of manufacturing being brought back to the United States? Yeah, I think if, if you know, uh, you know, we, we as a country realized the predicament we were in uh, in early 2017, late 2016, and uh, uh, the State Department got together with Commerce and a few others and uh, really expedited 
Taiwan Semis on manufacturing moving to Arizona. And as you know, they've, uh, in the midst of aggressively building uh, a couple of wafer fabs there. And the, these things, Becky, take anywhere from three to five years to build. They're 18, 17, $18 billion a, a copy. Think about a building that costs $18 billion to build. Um, and the first one is is uh, well on its way to being finished. The second one's on its way. Samsung has announced they're going to build a wafer fab in, in, uh, in Taylor, Texas. That one hasn't broken ground yet. Um, when you think about where we are today, uh, we're building as fast as we can uh, to, to get us to a position where we don't have a large national security problem. The problem is there's a duration mismatch between uh, achieving that goal, as you say, uh, and, and, and being where we are today. I still think we're a good three to five years away today from being self-sufficient on the chip side. Um, you know, antibiotic APIs, uh, it's, those aren't rocket science. We just need to reshore those. Uh, and we need to reshore supply chains. And you, know, you talk to the Fortune 500 CEOs, they're all doing it uh, in, in some form or fashion, and uh, they'll get it done. The problem is it's going to take years to get done. And in the meantime, we've all watched the, uh, the friction increase almost daily. Uh, between the U.S. and China yeah. from a, a geopolitical and militaristic perspective. So uh, m when I think about it, uh, Xi's the most leverage China has uh, is now. And as every day that goes by, they have less and less leverage. So um, I'm, I'm fearful that uh, things happen sooner rather than later. You know, uh, the, 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 the Putin invasion of, of Ukraine kind of, I don't want to say it came out of the blue, but it, things just happen. Uh, for for a long period of time, frictions frictions boil, uh, and then all of a sudden, war happens. Uh, and if you look at the daily rhetoric coming out of this these these state media outlets in China, they are really pushing the Taiwan narrative. So I'm afraid that that's going to happen sooner rather than later, Becky. That is incredibly concerning. And what you talk about how. They, China has less, will have less and less leverage as time goes on. That's the same situation with Putin and Russia and the control they have over European countries that they've been su supplying with oil and natural gas. Less and less mm -hmm. leverage over time, so they have to take advantage of it right now. Um, how do we withstand that? How do you kind of think about these things? And, and, and let's just talk about from a, an economic security position first, and then we'll talk about what it means for investors. Right. So, look, from, from economic security perspective, I always say if, if our national security was left up to the private sector and Wall Street, we'd all be speaking Chinese tomorrow. Uh, so, so I think it's important that, uh, that our leadership in DOD and, and in the executive branch uh, decides to really put ourselves, put our country in a better position from a national security perspective. And that means reshoring some of those things. Um, just this week, we're seeing, uh, as you know, uh, China bought Smithfield Foods back in 2013, the largest uh, pork and chicken producer in North America. And uh, this, just this week, they've announced they're going to close down uh, the entire Western division of the largest pork and chicken producer in North America because prices are too high. Well, that that doesn't sound like a uh, uh, an economic decision. That actually sounds like a... Uh, a geopolitical decision. And so those kinds of things need to be taken care of at the highest levels of our government. And we need more of a grand strategy and less of a revolving door. As you know, we have new presidents every four or every eight years. And we need 
a team that kind of transcends administrations and, and we really need a better grant strategy. And, and I think that that is being discussed. I just think that we haven't ever implemented that as a country. Kyle, I hear your point, and I, I think it's a valid one. Let me just push back a little bit on Smith, Smithfield Pork. Uh, I mean, I know of other business leaders who are considering shutting down because prices are too high, not because they can't get great prices for their products, but because it's not enough given the inflation they're facing on their input costs, whether that be energy, labor, uh, the raw, raw materials and commodities that they're facing. Um, but I, I hear your point, the, the idea that we could be left in a very bad position, and it may have more to do with just economic decisions, and they may be decisions that the U.S. government won't have as much control over if it's being operated by a foreign company. Right. And look, I know one of the big topics today is whether or not um, there should be a repeal of the tariffs yeah. uh, that, we put on, that we put on China for steel and aluminum. And if you go back and you read uh, the back and forth and the rationale for why we put those tariffs on China in the first place, and the reason that President Biden has left them on uh, is really is really important because let's just say for example aluminum, uh, the Chinese state actors were were basically giving free electricity to the aluminum smelters in China to undercut price in America. That took our capacity utilization of our aluminum smelters here from call it high 80s to 70 in one year. And when you drop below 80 percent capacity utilization, you end up losing money as an industry. So we put those tariffs in place not because we were looking to put extra or levy extra duties on China. It was because they were acting in an uneconomic fashion to try to put our industry out of business so we would have a further reliance on their ability to produce aluminum. And as you know, aluminum has many strategic values for the military uh, and for our industrial sector. So the reason we put those tariffs on is lost in mass media today. And it's the reason they haven't come off and, um, you know, then when you have people like Janet Yellen uh, saying, hey, you could really save eight basis points of inflation if you took those put, put took those tariffs off, um, you know, again, God bless her, but she doesn't have a national security bone in her body. We need people thinking long term here and not short term for the headlines. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. FedEx. 
Let's talk about the market implications for this and, and what investors should be thinking about with all of these concerns you just laid out. What would you tell somebody who's trying to figure out where they put their money? By the way, given this backdrop of the market collapse that we're watching, too. Yeah. So I have bad news for you there. Uh, my view uh, is you have so far you have 30 trillion of global stock market wealth has, has evaporated since uh, the higher inflation prints and the aggressive Fed speak, as you know, talking about aggressively raising rates concurrently with shrinking the balance sheet. Well, Becky, they're just beginning to shrink the balance sheet now. They're going to take $100 billion of risk assets out of the market each month from now on. Just think about the implications of more aggressive hikes concurrent with $100 billion worth of risk assets being removed from the market for months to come. Uh, I can tell you this, uh, stock market will not go up uh, in that time frame, right? So I think the investors and financial advisors need to um, not be buying dips right now. I think that you need to let this play out. I don't know how much lower the market's going to go, but my own inkling is that uh, our belief is that you're not going to, the Fed's not going to be able to pull $1 trillion out of risk assets, even though their balance sheet is north of $8 trillion. I don't think they can pull, call it, I don't think they can go 10 months at $100 billion a month or 11 months uh, before the stock market's down another 30, 40% from here. So I think 30 we or 40% are, from here? That is a really big drop. Or, I mean, imagine, wow. imagine, imagine if they raise, if they, if as they hike, you know, uh, this week they hike, next month they hike, uh, November, and in the, all at the same time they're pulling $100 billion a month of risk out. Risk assets out, Becky. The market is is going to absolutely convulse when that happens, and I think the Fed is laser focused on arresting the inflation uh, uh, problem, and they're not necessarily concerned with what's happening to the stock market. And I think that has a lot to do with what happens as we go into November. So, Becky, I think between now and November, um, things are going to materially worsen. And so, when I think about where to put money today. Um, I would wait uh, until until you see the Fed start to use the word pause more often and say, you know, maybe the market's dropped enough. Maybe 30 trillion coming out of uh, investors pockets is going to have a severe chilling effect on global markets, which it will. It just takes time. Uh, so I, I think that a lot of their job is actually already done. I think inflation uh, is going. I think you're going to see food and energy prices continue to head higher unless we have a massive recession. Uh, and I, I think we're going to have in, in North America or the U.S., I think we're going to have a, a brief recession or a shallow one. Europe's going to be a little deeper uh, just because they have such a problem with, uh, with their energy supply chain. Uh, and, and so and China's having its own problem. So uh, I think you're going to see markets go a lot lower going into November. You know, it's really interesting that you kind of go back to the Fed's idea that they have like stopping inflation as priority number one. You know that's the case. You know it's going to take a lot to do it. But there are plenty of market participants who I've spoken with recently who have said the bad thing would be if they didn't take those aggressive steps. It's almost damned if they do, damned if they don't. Do you, do you not see any way out of this without really putting further dents in the market? Yeah, I mean— I'm a monetarist at heart. When you print 40% more M2 or more money in circulation, you're going to get about 40% inflation. You know, of course, there'll be some kind of a, a Gaussian curve there where some things go more, some things go less. But on average, 
you and I both know that the price of just about everything that we engage with on a daily basis has gone up a lot more than the CPI prints uh, have said. And so when you have a scenario where they went to the gas pedal too much too hard uh, during the COVID scare, uh, and now they're ha having to deal with trying to pull that out. And Becky, that's coupled with really, really poorly thought through uh, energy transition policy, right? Uh, if you remember, uh, and again, not getting political, let's just say as a country, what we've done is we've made the wrong choices. I'm 100% for as much alternative energy as we can transfer to as fast as we can get there. The problem is these, these trans energy transitions take 40 to 50 years when they happen. We have, we have been all in on, on uh, solar and wind and hydro, and it represents less than 3% uh, of the contribution to, to power. So it's going to take decades to get there. And turning off hydrocarbon exploration, you think about our, our refineries. Uh, we haven't invested in a new refinery since the early 1970s. When you engage in major workovers and major capex and refineries, these are 30-year cycles. If what the administration is telling you is we're turning off hydrocarbons and turning on alternative energy, you're not going to get that capex spent. You're not going to get new pipelines built. We need new pipelines built, and we need a lot more drilling right now in order to transition properly. So we've got a monetar monetary problem on the just amount of currency in circulation and, and money that was printed because of COVID, coupled with really poorly thought through energy policy. So it doesn't matter how much the Fed acts uh, with, its, with its own tools. They can't change a supply problem on hydrocarbons. And that supply problem turns into much higher labor costs, much higher fuel costs, much, much higher food. Next year, you're going to see a giant food price spike, and you're going to have a, a problem with food scarcity. We're going right through these, these levels that we saw in the Arab Spring, uh, and you're going to see, uh, I think you're going to see real problems with food in emerging markets in the next 12 months. Okay, let's just focus a little more on energy. You, you come from Texas, um, you, you know the industry well, and while it might be tricky to try and get companies to invest more CapEx because of what they're seeing with the writing on the wall, that, you know, that, the clearly governments don't necessarily want this stuff around. They are promising to get rid of it. And that's not where investors tend to throw money. It got a little hairier last week when President Biden kind of threw down on ExxonMobil, said they made more money than God and that they should start paying taxes and that they should start being a little more concerned about what's happened with that. I mean, I think Exxon would argue that they have paid taxes. But when you have something like that taking place, how difficult is it going to be to convince companies and or investors to spend more on capital expenditures, to get more, you know, another refinery, to get more drilling taking place, any of those things. Yeah. I mean, if you just look at the panic that's going on in the administration today, we we are begging Saudi Arabia to pump more. At the same time, we are trying to remove the Iranian Republican Guard as, as terrorists, along with the Houthi rebels. Um, you can't even make up policy like that. And what's what's really interesting is we are releasing tight restrictions on Venezuela and uh, the Maduro administration, who we know is a global terrorist, who funds terror networks, who is definitely, let's say, part of the axis of evil and the authoritarians. Uh, we're releasing those restrictions on Venezuela, asking them to send us some more crude at the same time that we're killing the Keystone pipeline, which would carry heavy crude 
um, from our ally and our partner and our neighbor, Canada, uh, in our refineries that can refine heavy crude. Like, what we've got to do is be more thoughtful about our policy. And, and right now, we're making panic decisions and vilifying big oil um, after telling big oil that we're going to turn them off. Uh, and when oil was below zero, no one had any sympathy for the big oil companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when they were losing money, no one cared. Uh, and now that they actually have a profit margin on what they're doing because of bad and thoughtless policy, uh, it's easy to make them t- the, the witch and the witch hunt. And that's what you're going to see. But guess what? If what you do is you install windfall profits taxes on these companies or you, or you set uh, uh, artificial price levels, it, all you're saying is pricing is going a lot higher. Uh, it's how high do you want it? Uh, if what you do is encourage them to drill and you get behind them and you realize that we as a country are the largest energy producer in the world, Becky, we are far and far ahead of the number two producer, which happens to be Russia. Uh, and so the U.S. is in a strategic it's in a great strategic position if we can stop fat shaming oil companies and start realizing that we need a, a, a policy that's a long-term, great policy transitioning from hydrocarbons to alternatives. And we'll figure out nuclear soon. But again, that duration mismatch is too long. Our, the first small, small modular nuclear plant in America won't open for seven years, but it'll, it'll open in, uh, in Wyoming. And, and we'll see. I think that's the answer, but we're still a decade away. So we are just about out of time. I've got about 45 seconds left. For the financial advisors who are listening, is that at least a screaming buy to put money into energy stocks? Um, it, it depends how deep the recession gets. But I, I think this is the golden age for private capital investment in hydrocarbons for the next, call it 10, 15 years, because of everything I just talked to you about. I, demand is inelastic and growing uh, globally uh, for hydrocarbons. And there's no amount of alternative energy that can possibly get there in time. And by the way, there aren't enough extracted minerals uh, that are required to go into these giant wind turbines and these networks for all EVs. Uh, there, aren't, there aren't enough minerals around the world to extract to hit our 2030 goals, much less our 2040 goals. So I think that uh, uh, investing in energy is a great place to be for the next 10 plus years. That was Kyle Bass, founder and CIO of Heyman Capital Management. He joined us at CNBC's Financial Advisor Summit on June 15, 2022. The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends. You can visit CNBCevents.com to learn about upcoming events and how you can join us. I'm Sharon Epperson. Thanks for listening. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.